Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Sonia Estrasultani. Welcome to this new episode of the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Estrasultani, Editor-in-Chief of Rappaport. Today, it's all about what the modern bridal consumers want, what selling, what jewelers should offer to their clients, and what trends we are seeing for 2024 once the engagement gap caused by COVID will be solved. To discuss all this, my guest today is Rachel Taylor, a jewelry journalist who also wrote the cover story for the September-October issue of Rappaport magazine, which is now available on rappaport.com. In the second part of this podcast, my colleague Lea Merovic interviewed Shannon Delany, the chief marketing officer at jamesallen.com, to discuss the company's latest AI offering. But first, our interview with Rachel. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you, Sonia. How are you? Seems like it's been ages since we've spoken. I know. I know. But it's always a pleasure. And it's our first Wrap Apple Diamond podcast together as well. So it's really nice that we're starting with Bridal. As... I haven't actually thought about that before we started recording. <laughs> but yeah, I only did my first one after you went on maternity leave. So that's right. This is our first one together. So I'm very happy to have you back as a guest. And the reason why Rachel is our guest today is not just because she's a fantastic journalist who has really finger on the pulse of the market, but Rachel wrote the cover story for our bridal issue, which is the September-October magazine, which is currently out. So Rachel, you researched a massive piece that people can check online or in the print magazine. What was the most interesting information that you came across during your research? I think for me, the most interesting part was really the idea of an engagement gap, which relates to the impact of COVID on dating, which we all knew about at the time. But I think perhaps we've moved on so much for COVID and there's been so many elements that affected jewellery that I'd kind of forgotten that we are kind of facing almost a delay now. There was kind of this impact on dating at the time, but we're really now in the jewellery market seeing the result of this kind of lack of engagements that's only sort of hitting kind of in 2023 and 2024. So do you think people, from what we understood, Signet revised its forecasts for 2023. It's more optimistic for 2024. So that's going to be this delayed period, this bit of a lurch, but it's not as pessimistic also as, you know, some people would, would make it sound. Did you find that when you spoke to people for this specific article? Yeah, I think I think there's this real... Um Almost the gap is closing now. I suppose maybe I'm just discovering this concept, but really I think jewelers had anticipated it, especially if we look at Signet Group. They've done an incredible amount of research and gathering of data. And the president and chief consumer officer, Jamie Singleton, she said that she knew the gap was coming. They prepared for it. They were ready. But now they're expecting this real uptick in engagements and therefore in sales and engagement rings. I think she pointed out recently that dating post-COVID is up 8%. So hopefully we'll maybe see that being reflected in relationships that start to get serious. They also had an incredible amount of data as well. I don't know if anybody's watched the kind of investor relation videos they did. They give an insight into the kind of data they use to work out when couples are going to get engaged. And there's all these different markers within the relationships. And it's really quite scientific to sort of work out when people are going to pop the question. Anyone who's dating should watch the Signet recording <laughs> to have an idea of when they're going to be proposed to. <laughs> yeah, then you don't get that disappointment when you go on holiday to a romantic destination and, you know, they don't propose, you know, <laughs> unless you've got eight of the markers, you know, you can probably <laughs> be uh, confident that a proposal might not or 
perhaps will be coming your way. And talking about how they're going to propose, what do you see as the trends in terms of the prices, the style of engagement rings that are being gifted to the person you want to get married with? Well, I think interesting, most of the people that I spoke to for this story said it's couples coming in together now. So that seems to be the norm. There are still like a good percentage, I would say, of surprise proposals. But in reality, couples are approaching this together. So it's not so much perhaps somebody choosing for their partner and presenting it. It's a real kind of considered purchase together. And I think that's reflected in the budgets now. So really, if you ask a dealer kind of what their average sales are, I think if you ask some large companies, obviously they might have some sweet spots. I think Sylvie which is a big manufacturer um, in the US, they said their most popular engagement ring price point is $2,600. If you go to individual jewelers or designers, you know, it can really kind of range from a few thousand up to, you know, a hundred thousand. It's really kind of all over the place. But I think part of that, but really budgets seem to be going up again, kind of post-COVID. But I do wonder if that's because of the fact that couples are going in together and they're getting something they really want. And so they're willing to spend more because they're confident in it. That's an interesting point. I think as soon as you involve the person wearing the ring, the budget, might go up a bit for sure. Yeah, definitely. And also there seems to be a bit of synergy. I think lots of jewelers reported that couples are looking for matching bands again, which I think is something that we hadn't seen for a while. So when it comes to wedding bands, they want to match whether that's sort of matching metals or kind of matching profiles or maybe textures but they, they're looking for some sort of synergy across this. You know, it was like a real trend sort of many years ago, but it seems to have died out a little bit. I think it's, again, perhaps more bespoke engagement ring choices have come through and therefore bands have to reflect that bespoke design choice. But it seems to be that couples are looking to sync up again, which I thought was really sweet. I like it too. And I think customization is one of the big trends that we see if you want to attract the bridal market, because that's going to be the first purchase for most people into fine jewelry. So that's where you really want to create this relationship with the couple getting engaged. So where do you see other opportunities for jurors to attract these new customers, Rachel? What do they need to offer to these customers? And we're talking here about the US market, which is the market that we cover specifically in this issue. So other markets might be a bit different, but the US market with its diversity and its specificity. You mentioned diversity there, and I think that's actually one of the most important elements in the bridal market at the moment. You know, I think for a long time, the jewellery industry in the US perhaps relied on this kind of image of the solitaire diamond engagement ring, which has been given to a very stereotypical customer, white couple, they're probably a young couple. But I think actually what jewellers are really looking at now is that's not life, you know, it's not life. If you look around at couples, you know, there are older couples who are just getting together. It might be second or third marriages. There's ethnically diverse couples who maybe want to look for a different style. It's really the completely different market. And I think imagining that everybody's going to want platinum, single stone engagement ring, it's just, it's not realistic. So I think what brands are now looking to do is go beyond just kind of like speaking to these customers through, I don't know, correct model choices and marketing. Actually, what they're really looking now to do is change the actual product to reflect what customers actually want and thinking about maybe queer couples and thinking about just different ages and different and also across price points as well because you know it's a big spread it's you know there's some couples who may have small budgets some couples have large budgets and it can seem 
really messy to imagine that you have to speak to everybody. But I think there's going to be a real shift in actually not kind of pigeonholing bridal and actually maybe loosening up a little. And I think that ties into bespoke. You know, people have tried to set their own style, but I think it's also about looking to these different markets and people might want not maybe what we would think of a stereotypical engagement ring. Absolutely. And how do you think it's going to translate into, oh, it's already translating in terms of the metals, the style of jewelry that people are, are looking for when they get engaged? Yeah, I think that's right. So actually, Signet Group said, sorry, k they were really investing more in yellow gold because for Hispanic shoppers, that's a metal that they prefer. So I think a lot of traditionally, it's been the bridal market's been quite focused on white metals, white gold, platinum, but they've really put a lot of um, budget into building up that yellow gold offer. So I mean, that's kind of just one example. But also, I suppose the idea of colored gemstones as well, you know, certain cultures are more aligned to certain colors or certain stones. And I think that's going to be coming through as well. Well, diamond is definitely, you know, the most dominant stone choice and probably always will be. It's kind of thinking around maybe that there might be different opinions and people might put more value emotionally on a colored stone than they would on a diamond. That's it. We spoke about the diamonds. So if we speak about diamonds and bridal, there's only one topic now that we can move to, which is the <laughs> lab-grown diamond market, yes. which has grown so much, grown and grown and grown in the U.S., in other places as well, but that's what retailers have been seeing because from what I understand, American couples like to have bigger stones. And yep. from analysis, you can get a two carat lab grown diamond for 30% less than a one carat uh, natural diamond. So what did you find out when you were speaking to your contacts for this piece about lab grown in the US? I would say that nearly everybody spoke about growth in lab grown diamonds. So there's been lots of designers who say last year they really weren't getting many inquiries. This year it's been huge. I think it was really seemed to have popped up and like you say it's that size issue I think is really interesting. And I think American shoppers they do love bling they do love size they like a ring to be flashy and actually for some people they care less about whether it's lab grown whether it's natural what they want is the look and they're willing to go for lab grown if that means they can have that sort of vision in their mind and i think some manufacturers such as stiller have said that there's been a real increase in demand for larger rings like two carat plus and they're really attributing that to an increase in demand for lab-grown diamonds. And, and interestingly, I um, did a talk on lab-grown diamonds recently, and one of the speakers was from Novoda, which is a diamond trading platform. And they had some statistics that said, sort of, with their sales in the US, the value of the sales was split right down the middle between natural diamonds and lab-grown diamonds. And they said they're kind of facilitating sales of about 200,000 lab-grown diamonds a month. So it's becoming a really strong category. And again, this comes down to individual retailers and brands, whether they choose to work with them. You know, there's lots of people who are still sticking and they don't want to, especially as the wholesale prices continue to fall. You know, I think retail prices might be 30% difference, but in reality, I think, you know, wholesale prices can be much, much higher, sort of 80% plus. And if we start to see some people in the market reflect that in their retail prices, then that could cause an issue in terms of the perceived value of the product. But at the moment, it seems that people want a large stone. They don't necessarily want to pay more for it and, and they're happy to go with Labyrinth. I think that's something that's been coming for a long time, actually. Some people were in denial, but, but that's it, and it's here to stay as well. I, I think that's it. You know, I think there's a lot of discussion about whether it should still be a bridal product, whether it should be considered a luxury product. But I, I think that decision's not ours in the industry. That decision is the consumers, and that's completely up to their values. If they're happy to save some money but get the look that they want. And I think there's also an element, lab-grown or natural, actually. There will be an upcycling stage, maybe, with your bridal jewellery. 
that's something that we see more and more that, you know, we speak to estate dealers and we speak to jurors and people come to them with this bridal jewelry that they got maybe 10 years before, but they changed, their lifestyle has changed. Now they want a pendant, they want a necklace, they want something different. So what do you see as well in the market? Because I know you, you speak to a lot of people, Rachel, and we have a feature on upcycling jewelry in the same magazine. And we see that people are getting, you know, the different stages need to be reflected in the jewelry. So sometimes maybe they receive the solitaire diamond and it's not so comfortable. So they get it reset as a bezel set, which is a bit easier to move or a different setting? Or what do you see as well as trending in a specific market of upcycling your jewellery? There's a traditional upcycling, I suppose, which is maybe, you know, if you want to take family jewellery for sentimental reasons. But I think it's really interesting that point about later in life, you know, because a lot of couples will get married quite young, money's tight, you know, they're also looking at buying a house, they're looking at starting a family, you know, they're probably going for what they can afford. And yeah, lots of couples are coming back and saying, do you know what? I don't know, it's, it's our anniversary or it's my 40th birthday and now I'm kind of ready to upgrade. And a lot of people are, will still keep the stone that's been in the smaller engagement ring and they might have it reset as a pendant, but then they will upgrade the diamond. But I think that's quite nice. That's almost two jobs for the jeweler in one. You know, they get to upcycle that diamond into a pendant, but they also get to engage with that customer and help their ring to reflect the stage of life that they're at now. And I think that's why it's so important to kind of keep these conversations going. You know, once you have a couple in store, there are going to be changes in circumstances in life and I think kind of keeping speaking to them and letting them know that it's an option it's not just you know you buy an engagement ring and that's it you know there is an alternative where you can change it whether that's through just simple changing the size or whether that is actually you know it's time to add more diamonds or I don't know embellish it or mark anniversaries or children you know there's so many options I think it's a beautiful part of the industry I love this and I think that's why it always always reminds us that really the bridal purchase is the first relationship that you can have with the customer and a long-term relationship that will span over decades if you if you do it smartly and thoughtfully and mindfully as well over the years so that's why bridal is such an important part you know we always say self-purchasing and because i think self-purchasing can be a little more fickle can't it you might be led in different directions where you want to go but there's a real emotional connection once you buy an engagement ring there's that trust there in your mind if you're going to go for a significant purchase especially if you're thinking about bespoke you know you're going to go back Great. So I really encourage everyone who's listening to read the full report by Rachel, which is on wrapapple.com. And we have other bridal related articles in this magazine. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of it. Rachel asked me if you want to know a bit more about them. <laughs> one of them is about, actually, one of them is about a trend for art jewelry that you wrote as well. So tell us a bit more about that. Heart jewelry. Yeah, this just seems to be going on and on. It, it's funny, I felt like I could have probably written this about a year ago, but I could still write it again now. It just seems to be continuing and evolving. It's a really interesting trend because it's so, so commercial, but also there's lots of designers who are playing with that motif and kind of really having fun with it and trying to create their own spin on it, which is really difficult. But I think in this article, I think one of my points on this was actually if you can kind of put your own twist on a heart which seems like such a classic motif but you know people have done it in the past like Elsa Peretti for Tiffany you know and that was like a massive seller for them so I don't know it's it's one of those trends which is nicely commercial but also quite playful and it can go from a simple you know a simple silhouette heart pendant to really quite elaborate incredible designs I saw a very cool brooch recently by a designer called Zimu Zhang which was in a heart shape Sadly, not in time for this story, but it had kind of polished rainbow colored gemstone beads that you could push through the loops in the heart, which I thought was very cool. Oh, that's nice. Talking about playful jewelry, we also have a feature about Mary Lichtenberg's Will You Marry Me ring. 
So this ring, you know, you open the ring and inside you have the diamond. So it's very, very different from your traditional ring. She started with something else. When you open, you find the symbol of male anatomy, which is a bit unusual and a bit more subversive. But I'm sure you're obviously familiar with Mari's work. But what do you think of this really playful, cool little locket type of ring? I think it's really cool. And again, when we're talking about the idea that lots of couples are going in to buy together, that, which is buying an engagement ring together is great. But actually, it does, you do lose that kind of romance of the surprise. So I've always loved the idea of placeholders or kind of playful jewelry that can get the message across and can do the proposal without locking you in to a ring that they might hate forever. And so, yeah, no, I think it's really cool. So with a diamond, is it, can you use the diamond for the ring? Oh, it's inside. It's set inside. So you just, when you open it, you see it inside. It's been set like a pear-shaped diamond. It's just, just beautiful. You wear it and it has like the, will you marry me inside? And then you see the work and you just have to open it and you see the diamond. So you can be the only one knowing you have this really beautifully cut diamond inside your ring, which I think is quite cool. It's like, none of, you can't do more quite luxury than that, I guess. No, no, that's very silent, isn't it? But is that, is that the actual engagement ring then? Or is that something that they would buy and then use as an engagement ring? No, no, that's the engagement ring, if you wish. Oh, that's so cool. That's a very particular kind of customer who would want that. But that is, yeah, as you say, quite luxury. That's so playful. That's brilliant. I think you'd have to be very confident about your jewelry choices. But I think the type of jewelry Lichtenberg creates anyways for that type of, you know, yeah. collector who has already maybe a lot of the traditional pieces and wants something a bit more adventurous and a bit more edgy and a bit more like wink sexy i think exactly oh my god that'd be so cool as well i think it's also a nice reminder of the proposal throughout the marriage as well you know when you want to kill them and you're fed up and the dishes are piling up and you could just flip that up and remember that nice little moment and you do actually like each other i don't think the ring is very dishwashing friendly from what i can say you just i don't think i would use it that's why they're piling up she just sat there stack <laughs> rings before dishes you know just let them go yeah absolutely and we also have identified another trend best uh, benched in um, Lydia Primolak wrote about the Mary Lichtenberg ring, but Beth Bernstein identified another trend with rings that a lot of couples don't want to buy an engagement ring, but they want to buy wedding bands already. And they will have maybe yeah. two wedding bands. And I think that's exactly what you were saying, Rachel. So because as we know that the couple is not maybe the traditional woman wearing the engagement ring, that's it. You know, it's like the couple can be same-sex couple. They will both want to have a wedding dance. There's so many more than the traditional vision when we were pitching bridal jewelry. So that's also a very interesting trend that jurors are getting used to and they're creating specific pieces for that. So I think that's a really nice one also to check. And there was one story, I don't know if you heard of Queer, Mind to Shine program. No, I've not heard of that. So I think that's just a wonderful idea. It's the first retailer where you can go and you decide on which rough diamond you want to have for your final engagement ring. Oh, wow. So you will pick the rough diamond and you will follow the journey of your rough through all the different stages. And then it will become your engagement ring and the diamond on engagement ring, working with Square. So yeah. um, that's a really cool program. We talk about transparency. We talk also about the sentimental value. But instead of receiving you know, the, the certificate that tells you your diamond came from there, 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 you actually, you're the one who picked up from the start. So yeah, as a couple, that'd be such a lovely thing to go in and look at all the rough. And choose that and also just you know it's kind of waiting and yeah, it's like it's like having a baby isn't it you're just kind of you're sitting there waiting getting updates on its progress <laughs> waiting to see what's going to be at the end i love that i think it's such a great idea yeah so there's there's a really cool program carol Bessler wrote that piece 
I mentioned upcycling before that Phyllis Schiller spoke to uh, three estate jurors that specialize in repurposing jewelry, one of them being single stone, that's also very big on the bridal market. And our designer, I'm a big fan of her, is Kirsty Stone of Retrovide. Retrovide won this year the Couture Design Award for Bridal in Vegas. They do really, really cool shape, a bit Belperon style, big, chunky gold, beautiful use of diamonds. Do you like also the, the jewelry pieces? I love that. And I think that was a trend that was coming through from designers that I spoke to for my story as well. I think one of them referred to it was Mia Moros from The One I Love NYC. She described the trend as simple excess. So it's the idea of having like a big chunky band with maybe just like one statement stone. And I, I think really, um, Sonia, you're an antiques jewellery lover. And it seems to me that there's a real revival in the retro period and the retro style, that kind of like big gold, chunky pieces, but quite simplistic. And I think that's interesting because I think bridal's been quite influenced by Art Deco for a long time, but it seems there's a little bit of a shift towards kind of more retro pieces, which fits right with that idea of this kind of big, simple, chunky gold. And yeah, so no, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of that. Oh, I'm all for the retro revival. I'm all for this yellow gold, big chunky thing <laughs> coming back. Yeah, yeah, that is my style. <laughs> And so the, the profile of Retrova is by uh, Kate Mattams. And we also have a really, really nice story about Hare Krishna. So what we're mentioning, Hare Krishna, Rachel, you wrote that story. It's about social responsibility, everything the Indian manufacturer is doing for the good of the community, the good of the environment. But it's really, I think, a really sweet, nice wedding story in an article that you can give us a little bit of a glimpse of. Yeah, and this might blow people's minds, this concept, but I absolutely loved it. So the whole ethos at Hare Krishna is that the staff should be family. And I think that's something that a lot of companies will say, you know, we treat our staff like family, but they take this so incredibly seriously that they get involved in the weddings of their staff, but not just their staff, their staff's children, their staff's extended family. So the family who run it, they were attending a lot of different weddings and it kind of, it got a bit too much. So they decided, what if we had mass weddings? So they would organize these weddings. They might have, I think they mostly had was maybe 60 or 70 couples get married at once. These are Indian weddings as well, which are famed for being big lavish events. They take over a cricket round. So they have all these couples who come and they all get married at once. Each couple can invite 100 guests. So the numbers are huge, but Hare Krishna picks up the bill. So they will fund all these weddings for their employees or their employees' children. And it's really as much about kind of giving back to them financially as well and taking the burden off them. Because, you know, obviously with these weddings and the expectation they should be large, that comes with a, a financial burden and expectation. But also it's about that joint celebration and really kind of getting it home that it is one big family. And so they will celebrate together. But yeah, it's it seems like a, I can't imagine any American company doing this. You know, if you think about it like that, it seems wild. But yeah, it's successful. They've been doing it for a few years now and they, they keep doing it multiple times a year. That's, that's a great human story, I think. That's a, that's a beautiful story. So um, we'll, we'll close this interview on this beautiful snapshot of India. What's happening in my big Indian wedding. Rachel, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. And check Rachel's articles and all the contributors' articles on rapapple.com. And now we're going to leave you with a very interesting interview that our senior news reporter, Lea Mirovic, did of uh, Shalom Denani of Gems Island. So as we know, Gems Island is partner of Signet Drawers, and they're the innovative, high-tech side of Gems Island. 
They do really cool things. I think you will enjoy listening to this interview that Leah conducted with Shannon about the new AI technology that Jamsalab implemented for bridal specifically, but also for more broader products. So I'm curious, what is the plugin? What types of things does it, I know what ChatGPT is, but what does it do for James Allen's customers? Yeah, so ChatGPT has an offering of different plugins that you can install and then use within your chat of ChatGPT. And so James Allen launched the first ever diamond and jewelry ChatGPT plugin. And basically what it's done is it's scoured our entire website And then any inquiry that you put through any question of like, you know, hey, I'm looking for a two carat round cut diamond for an engagement ring. I've got $4,000. Give me some options. It then checks through all of our website and pulls out three different options. It links to those item pages and it shows you images within that chat GPT flow. So right there in that conversation, you can kind of have a dynamic experience with what's on our site and help you narrow it down. I see. And I noticed that on the website, it actually has options for you to do that on your own to like choose what shape you want, what cut, what color, the price range and everything like that. How does it differ from that option? Is it more user friendly or is it similar, but it's just easier for somebody to be able to use that way? Yeah. So on our site, it's very much self-guided, right? You've got all of the inventory there. You've got some filters that, as you said, you can play around with and sort of sort what you're going to see in terms of results. And then ChatGPT is really based on the logic and the power of AI to help you even further to narrow it down. So to give some context, when you're on our site, we've got, I think now over 300,000 loose diamonds a lot to sort through. Even if you're filtering, you're going to get hundreds of items coming back to you. Whereas if you're on ChatGPT, we're going to give you three every time, the three that we think are the best based on what you're searching for. And I think that that just helps narrow it down even further. Okay. And if you're not happy with the three that it turns up, can you ask for another three, like the next three in line? Or how does that work? Do you have to change the search? No, you can absolutely have a dynamic conversation through ChatGPT, same way you would do just traditionally with ChatGPT. So you can say, hey, you know, I actually would like to prioritize clarity grade. Can you show me a few more that have a higher clarity grade? Or, you know what, I thought I wanted a round cut diamond. Show me a few ovals also. Um, By the way, same goes for jewelry. This is one of the features that I love there. You can come in and say, it's my wife's birthday next month and I'm looking for a gift for her. I've got $500 to spend. What do you recommend? So you can really have that dynamic conversation. Oh, that sounds great. So let me ask, I've had this happen to me before. I'm curious if I'm in the street and I see a woman wearing a ruby butterfly necklace and I love it and I don't know where she got it. Can I do a search that way and say ruby butterfly necklace and it's going to show me the closest options that you have that meet that criteria? Yeah, absolutely. It'll give you three, assuming that we've got three ruby butterfly necklaces, but certainly you can do that. Yeah. Oh, so that makes it a lot easier because I've tried that before just on Google and it's not fun. Okay. So how simple is it to use the plugin for people who aren't tech savvy? It is incredibly simple. I'm on it quite frequently. And I think the power of it is really the AI and the technology behind ChatGPT. And it, it feels like a conversation with a person. So as you just said, the same way you'd say like, hey, I'm looking for this specific necklace, help me find it. You can go in and literally plug in that sentence and you will get results that match what you're looking for. So 
truly probably the easiest experience out of what's out there. Interesting. How does it take away from any jobs that are filled by humans? Is this like if people would normally call customer service and ask a customer service agent at James Allen for help, is this taking jobs away from those people if they're using ChatGPT because it simplifies it and they don't have to go through a person? It's a great question. I really do not see this as in any way replacing humans or replacing the jobs that we already have. We have a very, very high touch, high emotion product, high ticket also. And I don't think that this in any way replaces that. For us, this is just an incremental add-on, another tool that somebody can use. You know, we've got the blog, we've got our virtual ring try-on feature, we've got a whole lot of different things that use technology to help people make what is a really complicated process a little bit easier. And so this is just one of those things. But the majority of our customers still interact with our customer service team at some point in that process. And I don't anticipate this changing that at all, just giving them one more tool to help them. Okay, so I know, you know, speaking of the human touch, that a lot of people say that part of selling jewelry is having a human there, it's the emotional connection, it's the telling of a story and things of that nature. So do you think that this changes that aspect at all because people are going to be more apt to use the chat GPT? I know it makes it easier for them, but it seems like you're saying they're still going to have a connection with a human at some point in the process anyway. So do you think that it still will be the same type of purchase and not take the emotional aspect of the human connection away? I don't think it will. I really see it as sort of an incremental tool in that journey. I think that most people that are you know, connecting and feel the need to connect with customer service will continue to do that. We've got plenty of customers that come on and have a more quote unquote traditional e-commerce experience where it is very self-serve. They've taken weeks or months to really scour the internet and learn about what they're buying. And then they feel empowered, hopefully to make that decision. And if they need that help with customer service, we're there. And this is just another tool to help them. The other thing I'd say is that because it is really taking the entire entire inventory of the site and then spitting out three results, I think it's a great starting point to get somebody in. So if you really don't know where to begin and you're confused, you got too many options on the table, this is a nice way to start with a little bit more of a narrow path. And then I think you'll still want to have those interactions with customer service, whether it's through live chat or email or on the phone or texting even to really come to that final decision. When you're saying, you know, it's a great way to bring people in, do you think that this is something, a feature that maybe will appeal to, you know, the millennials, the Gen Z, the younger generations who are using ChatGPT more often, that it will bring new customers into James Allen because they have the option to use that feature? That's definitely the hope. We, we are really hoping that this allows us to tap into a new audience and also to, to just provide value to the existing audience. But I think there's definitely... A group of people who are, you know, more connected to these kinds of new technologies who are already playing around with ChatGPT in their lives for a whole bunch of other things. And this is another thing that they can now do with that technology. And what have you seen so far in terms of people using it? Have you seen, you know, what kind of queries are they doing or, you know, how... How are they using it? How much does it lead to an actual purchase? Is it helping purchases, things like that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think a lot of the behavior thus far has been the ways that we sort of anticipated and we felt like it was bringing the value. So as I said, it's people coming and saying, 
you know, I've got X amount of dollars to buy a certain kind of diamond, help me narrow it down or help me kind of kick off that process. We've had the searches that are more about jewelry and maybe it's gifting or anniversaries or I've got this engagement ring. What do you recommend for a matching wedding ring? Those kind of queries. So a lot of things that we were happy to see. Uh, And as I said, I think it's part of that process. I don't think it's going to be that final push into a shopping cart to buy because it is a very high touch, high interaction product, but it's something that helps them along the way for sure. Okay. And I take it that actually this is probably helping you with understanding your demographics more. Like it's showing you what people are looking for and what they're searching for. Have you seen anything surprising? Things that you didn't know, maybe more customers are looking for a specific cut, what cuts are more trending and popular now, or if they're looking for a specific size carrot wise? You know, I have not. I think in a lot of ways, it's reinforcing what we already knew or thought we knew about our customers based on purchase behavior and searching behavior on the website, you know, behavior that we've already seen external, whether it's in Google search or things like that. So it really reinforces for us an understanding of our customer. I see. And what else can you tell me about it? Like the things that people are able to do with it and how it's helping people? The opportunities are really endless. I mean, it is a search of the entire website. So as I said, it could be a budget search, it could be helping them to narrow down, you know, by diamond shape, or they can, you can literally go in and input certain 4C parameters and have it spit those out. And then with every result, so let's say you get those three diamond search results, you're going to get a little bit of info in ChatGPT about that diamond. So you're going to see some of those 4C specs And then a link over to the item page and an image there in that chat. In terms of jewelry, we have seen people that are searching for themselves, people that are searching for gifts, people are coming with queries based on occasion of a gift or sometimes budget of a gift and not really the occasion. So we're really seeing it all across every category that we have. Wedding as well, matching wedding rings, that kind of thing. And have you seen a lot of new users coming just to use the feature or...? Uh, we have seen a pretty decent amount. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. Now I noticed that it's only available to use if you have a paid ChatGPT account. So for people that want to use it and don't have the ChatGPT account, is there a way that you'll be able to allow them to have access or to try it out? So we actually configured it that anybody with ChatGPT can access it, premium or a non-premium account. The difference is that if you have a premium account, you're going to get links to the item pages and images within that ChatGPT chat. And if you have the free account of ChatGPT, you'll still be able to use the plugin, but you won't have the links and the images. Okay. And what about Signature's other banners like Kay or Jared? Are there plans to roll this out to those as well? They're always keeping an eye on what we're doing. And we're always keeping an eye on what they're doing to see if you know, anybody's found valuable tools for customers. Um, I can't speak to their concrete plans at this point, but I know that they're definitely watching and we're excited to see us roll this out and be the first jeweler to do so. Great. And do you have plans for any other new innovative technology coming up anytime soon? We are always working on that. Our president is a very big technology buff. He's always keeping an eye out on the next thing that's kind of bubbling up and people are talking about. Our teams have been playing around a lot with mid-journey, with creating 
visual assets uh, using AI technologies. We've started to use that in our content teams. We've started to play around with some of the technologies that Google is offering for the performance marketing team. Lots of different trials and finding out if there's anything valuable for us and valuable for our consumer. Okay. So Shannon, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about the new plugin that jamesallen.com has. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rappaport Diamond podcast. For more discussions, news, and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us at rappaport.com. Follow Rappaport Group on Instagram and follow Rappaport on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes.